I never told no one that My whole life I've been holding back Every time I load my gun up So I can shoot for the stars I hear a voice like Who do you think you are? Alrighty, another day, another dollar Another one of my favorite episodes of my favorite podcast I'm being a little biased, it's my own podcast What if it did work? On this week's episode, we've got Jonathan John Garrig, Life's Most Beautiful Journey, fulfilling a commitment to his father to share the experiences of his parents' final days. Jonathan C. Garrig writes of tough decisions, bittersweet moments, and angelic encounters. This touching story of a life turned upside down to meet the needs of aging parents will soothe the souls of similar caregivers and give hope to those who loved ones lost. Jonathan C. Garrig worked in the timber industry for 35 years in his fast-paced career. He did everything from cleanup, millwright, quality control, supervisor, and superintendent. At the request of his aging parents, he left his career. He loved so much to start a new career, caregiver. A huge lifestyle change at much slower pace. But the most important decision ever made, Jonathan lives in Southern Oregon with his fiance, Adrian. He loves video chatting with his family and grandchildren and hiking on the coast and in the mountains to the waterfalls. How's it going, John? Great, Omar. Thank you. So tell me about that, this book. What really inspired you to write this book? Because I get it. You, you step back from your career, which was a very lucrative career to take on your parents who, who did the same for pretty much all our parents do the same thing for us. So, you know, I guess it's a full circle there. Uh, the reason is, is when I was caring for both of my mom and dad during the last probably month before my dad passed, he was actually angry that I actually had to give up my career and I didn't have to, I chose to do that. Uh, I couldn't tell my mom and dad no when my dad asked me if Adrian and I could move over and care for him. There there was no way neither one of us were going to say no. And during that last month, my dad looked at me with that very stern Garrick look and pointed at me and said, I want you to write a book about your experiences with us so you can share it with many people. Now, I already told him that I was taking notes, which I have. Plenty of and a book here, all written by hand during the time I was taking care of them. And I told him that I was writing, already started jotting notes and doing it down for my kids and grandkids. And actually, that's what it was going to be for. And was doing it by hand in the book. And Adrian, my fiance, found me a class at the local community college called Write Your Memoirs. And I actually signed up and they accepted me because it was about people's memory, memoirs, but mine was about my book. And I actually took it for a year. And the teacher looked at me after probably the first semester, the first semester and said, you've got to write a book, but you got to do it on the computer. <laughs> so I actually got the <laughs> word and I started rewriting everything on the computer. And I actually took that that class, like I said, for a year. And each week we would read different parts. And uh, emotionally, the the laughter of the book, there's chapters that people will laugh and chapters that people will cry. But it was basically my dad that wanted me to write this book. Well, you know, we must be like-minded people because my first two books, well, soon to be third, if I ever want to publish that, I hand wrote it because to me that 
maybe, maybe it's because we're older, but it just came through me and it flowed with me and I had everything, which I, I'm glad I got to type it and give it to an editor on a right. computer. Because if not, my, my I'm a lefty, so my, my handwriting is so horrible. So I don't think anybody except possibly like my my ex-wife could, could read it. I'm, I'm sure she wasn't going to get any of my stuff published. <laughs> No, I enjoyed actually. I would do. I'd write. I sat and told my uh, fiance Adrian that I'm going to go ahead and start doing this, and just started writing it. Like I said, in the in the folder there, and uh, it continued on. It was uh, like saying about one of the greatest things I ever did in my life. Like one of the rarest things is you took a course like that, and it gave you the tools. Because right after college, moved back home, I was feeling down, and my mom's like. You know, you need to find people. Go take these non-credited courses. Absolutely. And I took two. One was canceled. It was a home ec. Took a basic learn how to cook class because I'm like, well, you know, there's going to be hot chicks. There's going to be women in there. And the class was canceled, like right on the spot. But the second class that I took was like uh, a creative writing course. (sighs) I'm a failed journalist. I can write, but for an eighth grade level. But in this class... Took the class and the the professor loved the the writing, but it was non-credited. So we had to go through, there wasn't much learning. Somebody would be inspired and go, well, my last week's assignment was I had a cat. My cat is my best friend. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm sitting here. <laughs> and not, not, to, not to crap on anybody's writing skills, but I'm just sitting there and I was stuck. One, I didn't meet anybody. Two didn't become friends with anybody, but it was just like, I wasted all that time. And then a million years ago, so I was an educational snob back then. And it was at the local community college. I'm like, oh shit, walking through the campus. I'm like, I hope nobody from my high school sees me and thinks that I'm <laughs> still, still taking community uh, college courses. But yeah, that, that, that's great though. I mean, but when you wrote that book, it must have felt, John, very therapeutic. Is that the experience that you got? Absolutely. It was extremely therapeutic. Times where I would sit and cry when I was writing certain segments of the book and times that I actually would laugh my head off of everything in there. These stories are true. Just It was extremely therapeutic and it helped me a lot. And it still helps me today giving that up. There's times where I was angry. I'm not going to lie about that. Nine years away from retirement, we had everything planned of what we were going to do and where we were going to go. But we both knew that was going to be a dream because we knew that when the time came, it would be us because we spent most of the time with them on weekends, every holiday. I had six weeks vacation, five and a half were with them. Uh, and just stayed with them. So we knew it would be us. And it was a, a good, comfortable feeling with them. Some of the stories you see and, and some of the things they tell you, it's it's just amazing. Uh, I loved every minute of it, but therapeutic is 100% correct. I, I completely get it. My two books, What If It Did Work and Vacation CEO, both were written at a time that I was going through a lot of emotional trauma, a lot of, a lot of stress. And I tell everybody either people that i coach or videos just write stuff down who cares if you're going to get it published at least let all that 
all those emotions go. Because, I mean, what, all it is is you're going to kill yourself by holding on to anger, resentment. And I'm sure you're feeling that way because, I mean, well, my mom's a single mom. Mom and dad divorced before I was born. But my grandfather's at 99. And, you know, you can see the writing on the wall. And it, it's that, like, that feeling that, you know, maybe if I had more time. And, and yes, I'm 50 had 50 years with them, but it's, it's always that I'm sure you moved to Oregon to be with, with your parents, correct? Well, I was two hours away in Brookings, Oregon, Okay, which okay. is on the Southern Oregon coast. And I would drive at times I'd get off work at five in the evening, drive over. And if they needed a case of water, it's two hours over and two hours back. And I started my work at three 30 in the morning. So I wouldn't get much sleep, but that's, they, they lived in they didn't they lived in a retirement home. They did not want to move to Brookings with us because there was no hospital there. And it would be too hard for them to drive back for me to keep my job. Too hard for them to drive back on Highway 199, which right now is closed because of a big fire. And but I was so thankful we were talking the other day. Never none of that happened while I was all the years I was in Brookings, 21 that never had to have a fire, but anyway, they to move over there, they just wanted somebody to be with them, to take them to their appointments. Uh, my sister did does live in the area. She lived in the same town, but she was caring for her in-laws, so she couldn't do it, which was very hard on her. And she was always very, uh, uh, I guess, feeling guilty that I had to give up. I shouldn't say had to. I gave up my job for them, but I... I always tell her she doesn't have to feel that way. I did it for not only my parents, I did it for my siblings. It was it felt right. Well, your your parents raised two amazing people because most people don't even like their in-laws, much less be able right. to to be with them and take care of them. Especially right. seeing someone someone dying that not only the emotional pressure, emotional burden that sets, but you know, physically doing so much, you, you have to really love someone. And your parents did instill that in you and your sister. So they did an amazing job. But I mean, it's the exact opposite of, I remember that, I don't know whether you saw it, Real Sappy, The Notebook. It was like, a, it, was, it was this movie that this undying love backstory to Two elderly couple are in their the last years of their life. They're in a nursing home, but the it goes about their past, their past love. But the when, whenever they go to the present, the the kids are like telling the dad, "Dad, why don't you just leave mom? She she doesn't even know us." And it's like, well, to me, it was a knee jerk, but that's a lot of reaction. You yes, to this day, you change your your wording. You didn't have to. You made it a get to because, I mean, you do, you loved your parents unconditionally. It wasn't like, well, hey, man, I can't handle this because so, so many people would be checked out or so many people would be like, well, they're fine in the retirement. Their time, their time, their time is up. They can be at the nursing. I'm not. You took on that added responsibility. And that at the end of the day, anybody will tip their hat off to you, much less the simple fact that. That you gave up your career, like what you said, you were so close, seeing that finish line towards retirement. But at the end of the day, you're like, "Hey, this is mom. This is my dad. I'm going to do whatever it takes 
for them. Yeah, I, there was no way I was going to say no. They were two amazing people. And I will say, in defense of my other two brothers, one lives two hours north of them when they're alive. One lives in San Francisco Bay Area. They would come and see them. They would do things. My brother would bring food down for us. And like We live in Phoenix, and it's 45 miles. I drove it every day because we had a little place over here in Phoenix, an apartment that we kept. My girlfriend or my fiance now, to make a long story short, we had two places, one in Brookings. We had a long-distance relationship. So it worked out that we kept this instead of finding a place in Grants Pass, which cost a lot of gas, but it didn't matter. But they would come down, my brother Mark, he brought this this massive meatloaf. You know, and there's a story in the book about that that made a lot of people laugh. And my oldest brother, Tom, who's a very big businessman in the Bay Area and a great artist, uh, whenever they had time, they did come up and, and be with them. So it was, but it just, I think a lot of people don't realize that uh, when you decide to take care of somebody, your family, it doesn't matter who it was, a child, a, a, an uncle, or but it, here's my parents. It, they don't realize that the one doing it, there's a lot of mental, physical, and financial stress. And sometimes, and and that's in the book, and I hope they read it. And it's not to make them feel bad, but it's, I want to help other families to talk it out and prepare. And the name of the book is Life's Most Beautiful Journey, right? No, the name of the book is A Son's Promise. That's my mom and dad. That's a great picture. I, I got that Life's Most Beautiful Journey. That's from your son. So yeah, this is them on their wedding date, 1945. And this is exactly how I wanted it. My dad was in the Navy. My grandfather was in the Navy. And I wanted it Navy colors and black and white. And, it's, and then, of course, on the back, it shows the picture of our family, seven kids. I'm the one in the red tie. I always tell people, don't let that tie fool you. But... <laughs> It's a it's a good book. I've had a lot of good. What happened? No, I'm still here. You're still being I recorded. Do you see you me? See, yeah, I I can see you crystal clear. As long as okay, the I'll leave it then. Yeah, most most people. No, nobody's going to see this anyways. Okay. I've got an ugly mug, but I've, I've got a face only my mom likes. <laughs> yeah, nothing happened. It just did that, but that that's all right. Yeah, now you don't. <laughs> I've listened no. to a couple of your podcasts, and I really like them. So I'll probably be following you. But yeah, that's the, it's a son's promise. And I actually, the first name of the book was going to be the greatest. I, I mean, I came up with different names, but the greatest thing I ever did, dear mom and dad, but it was the class I took with my teacher, Dolly Haney, that actually, because at the end, when I wrote through it, I said, I commit, I fulfilled my promise to my dad, a son's promise. And she stood up and said that is the name of your book. So I followed through with that. So well, believe it or not, I, I have a similar story. To, uh, what if it did work? That was that just came about my my editor and I and it, it just popped in, but it was I thought it was going to be called Make It Happen. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's always it's always that set, it's always that thing, that one thing that you just say out loud, you blurt it and it becomes it. So and it is. It was a son's problem. You you were there, man. I mean, that that at the end of the day, I have to ask uh, your last name, Garrig. Any relation to the Iron Horse, Lou? Yeah, my grandfather Charles Henry Garrig was first cousins with really? Henry Louis Garrig, who whose real name was Heinrich Ludwig 
Gehrig. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, well, that's because, you know, Gehrig's not exactly a popular last name. So that's why I had to ask. Yeah, a lot of people do. We we pretty much don't. Uh, I mean, my brother played baseball. He was 6'4". He was left-handed. He was first base and a pitcher. And he emulated Lou Gehrig. And he played a single A for the Oakland Athletics. But that's as far as it got. And well, he took a beating. He says, you're, you know, he did get yelled at. You're not Lou Gehrig and, and all that. Of course. But he of he course. was the closest and he was very good. Hey, sing, single, that's professional ball. I I got cut from my, my high school baseball team, 5'8", unathletic. I had zero athletic ability. That's why I, I had a degree or I got two degrees in journalism because I thought maybe one day I'd be a sportscaster since I love sports so much. But it never panned out. So, but this isn't the only book that you wrote, right? Because according to your your son, you you wrote a children's book too. Yeah, it's called The Watermelon Patch: A Tale of Unlikely Friendship. And I'm not sure if you can see it. Oh, don't worry. We're going to promote both books. <laughs> this is a, actually these three characters: Artie Apple, Barney Banana, and Ozzy Orange. My dad created when we were kids, and he would tell different stories. Actually, Ozzy Orange was Ozzy Orange Peel, but I wanted to make them a whole fruit. And it's a, the genre is about bullying and teaching kids. Not to, I mean, they judged Mr. Watermelon, and he had watermelon tears. And uh, this one's doing really good. Actually, both do pretty decent, especially when I get out there and promote them. But this one has done very well. And I was lucky enough to have a great person that drew, did all the drawings. He went by Rock, but his name was Eric, and he actually does a cartoonist out of Break Bakersfield, California, found by my publisher, Rachel Rose. But yeah, this this one, I love doing it. I created it. Uh, I just made, I told my dad that I was also going to do that, take the three characters and make up a story. And I actually wanted to do it about bullying because my youngest son, uh, I was a single father also, was bullied at school. And we corrected that problem. but. Uh, yeah, I love this book also. And I'm working on another one. <laughs> so. Now, isn't that funny how life takes you? You never thought when you're knee deep in the tim timber industry many years ago that you'd be a, an author, that you would write two, soon to be three books. Right. And soon, maybe down the road four, my kids want me to write something about growing up in Oakland, California. So was going to name it One Big Backyard Growing Up in Oakland, California. <laughs> but I told him I, I, some of the things I'd be afraid to put in. But yeah, I agree with you. My fiance, Adrian, still today says, you realize that this, this many people bought your book and so many other people, it's been in bookstores, that you're an author. And I guess it just, just go back when she says that means a lot, but it goes back to my mom and dad. It goes right back to the story. Think about it. You're inspiring. You're, you're touching story about taking care of your parents, your dying parents, and stepping back from your career to help them. That, that's going to inspire a lot of people. There's, there's a lot of people that similar situations that are going to be like, oh, my gosh, I can connect. I can relate. I can relate to you, John. So that's thank well, you. I've to had that. I've them. had people contact me and say, I know exactly. Oh my gosh, I'm glad you wrote this. Uh, I, I wish 
it's going to inspire me to to maybe do something like this. And it does help no matter how many years it was from now. It seems like yesterday. So the feelings still feel like yesterday, if that makes any sense. No, it makes perfect sense. So your parents, though, they both felt like this guilt that, oh, my gosh, John, you moved, you upended your life for us. In the end, they didn't understand. You felt because of the love, the unconditional love, clearly you, you and your brothers and sisters loved, loved your parents so much to do all that for them. So, I mean, at the end of the day, they're, I, I know they're, they're like, these are the results of our hard work of raising such an amazing family. I will say, if, if I could inject that, uh, when my dad asked me, which was Thanksgiving 2012, if we could come over, they were missing some appointments. But unfortunately, my sister had to take the in-laws too, so she couldn't get to them. So I made sure because I, I, I would get Fridays off, so I made sure all their doctors, would, their appointments, this is before I moved over. And I drive over on the Friday. So all their appointments were taken care of on Friday. But it, uh, I know sometimes I, I even missed up even talking about the, a lot of the, the good times. But my, like I said, I wasn't going to say no. I couldn't say no. And I thought at that time, my fiance who was working in Brookings, I told her, well, I guess we're going back to the long distance relationship. And she said, absolutely not. And she put in her notice. <laughs> And she says, you're not going over there without me. So that was a great, great thing. But, and, and yes, we're going to get married. <laughs> well, I mean, think about it. I mean, that shows you that she adores you and loves you too, because most people are like, ah, oh, long distance. Most people wouldn't even say, okay, let's do the long distance. A lot of people would be like, screw this. John, we had a great run, but, you know, maybe this is a sign that, you know, we're just not meant to be say, hey, I'm cutting my losses to you. So think about that. Just the person that you are inside has created all this abundance of love. You're a magnet to just great people because she's just like your parents, just like your brothers and your sister. You guys are all loving. I mean, my brother-in-law did a lot of care for them too. So. You see, you even praise your brother-in-law. Not, not that oh, yeah. Couldn't relate because my my ex wife's an only child too, so never had any brother in laws. So, but was there any resistance on you writing this book? Because according to your your son, there there was resistance. Was, was it from the family resistance? Wouldn't call it resistance. I think they just didn't believe that, and, and I'm not sure if this is true or not. It, it feelings of when I would say yes, I'm writing a book about that, they would go, oh, okay. You know, that's like they didn't really believe that one, I was going to do it or two, if I could do it. And and of course, I didn't write the book to to show that I could do it. I wrote the book because I promised my dad that I would actually both books and promise is a promise. And I wasn't letting them go go to heaven thinking I wasn't going to follow through with that. But that resistance and also actually some of the resistance with myself that if I could do it. And that's very true. And by starting to write that out, every night, Adrian would come home from work and I would read a, a chapter. And I would also read a chapter of my brother, Phil, who's passed away a year and a half ago of cancer. 
I would call him up and I would read him a chapter. And he was also writing a book about the union <laughs> that he worked in, and he wanted me to actually write it for him. But he eventually passed away. But uh, yeah, personal also, could I do it? And and intrigued me with yours is is your your podcast. What if it would work? And I said, wow, that's that's pretty cool. And when Kenny actually told me about it, I said, I would love to do Beyond Here because what if it did work? It did work. When I didn't that oh, time, didn't believe myself, but I think a lot of other people hid that they didn't believe in me also that I would I was able to do it. But like oh, I said, I, I did it for my folks. I know the I know the feeling quite well, John. People ask me how long did it take me to write my first book. And I told them 47 years. And everybody was like, what? 47? And I'm like, yeah, it took me 47 years. It literally only took me less than 60 days, but it, it took me over 47 years to finally quit focusing on the negativity because I would always tell people, because people, why don't you write a book? Why don't you write a book? And it was always like, ah, who am I? Who am I to write a book? And right. <laughs> no, no, nobody's, nobody's going to read my book. I'm only going to sell it, sell three copies to to my daughters and one to my mom. And that's about it. I don't have anything to say. I'm just, and it was just that, that saying until finally was, it was what if it did work? You know, so many people stop themselves from living the life they're meant to be living or they stop living or going out for their dreams because either they're limiting beliefs, these, these stories that they tell that they're not good enough or who am I, or you listen to people that just want to hold you back because they quit dreaming on themselves. Now, right. when the, the, res, the resistance on you, though, it's because every, everybody says, oh, you're, you know, your you're surrounding support said, ah, oh, yeah, okay, John, you'll write a book. Because everybody, you know, you, you hear that so often. Oh, I, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a book. And, you know, usually around New Year's, New Year's resolution. And then you ask a month, oh, yeah, maybe next year, maybe January 1st. But you had the mo- you had also the the motivation because your father was told i want this story out there i want absolutely. you to write a book absolutely and i and i know he really wanted me to do it for for not just for people siblings everybody realized how hard it was what we gave up that that's what he did what he wanted but when my first day with them was January 20th, 2013, my dad only lasted four months. And I realized that my dad asked us to move over to, to be with them, to care for him, because he knew his time was limited and he wanted me to be there for my mother. And I asked him that while he was laying in his bed and he looked at me and he nodded his head, yes. he wanted, So he knew somehow, but his body, and then those four months, it's in the book of what I see, different changes. And a lot of people that are out there that have done what I've done and taken care of people, and this is including my sister with uh, her in-laws, you see the changes. And the change of my dad broke my heart because I was hoping five, six years, you know, to to just be around them and four months. And uh, it was. Uh, the changes in that he knew, and I always felt that he felt now that he knew that his wife was going to be taken care of, he could go to heaven. That, I'm not sure if that makes sense to anybody, but no, it's, uh, he wanted to stay long enough 
to make sure that someone was taking care of your mom, not only taking care of your mom, but he, well, his soul, he wanted to spend some time with you. Absolutely. And, and, and some time with his, his other children, right. because at, at the end of the day, he probably could have gone sooner, but he willed himself. You know how people, whenever a doctor tells you, oh, you only have four years to live, and then right. bam, mentally, they're checked out right at four years, they go. Because the mind is a powerful thing. If, if the mind says, hey, man, this is it, I'm dying. But then you hear those stories of people saying, you know what? I know I've got more than six months to live. I'm going to prove I am so determined. I am so stubborn. I am going to prove all these people mm-hmm. that they're wrong. Then you hear that the person lives another 10, 15 years. It's because the mind, the mind and the heart, man, nobody can quantify that. So, did, and your dad probably could have lived longer, but he was probably in such severe pain. He's like, man, I, I spent that was my right. That was the unfortunate thing because he, I'm lucky enough, and our family was that they were both their minds were still intact, very strong, no Alzheimer's, no dementia. And to to see others that I'm in another couple of groups that that I interject some of what I did in it and they the dementia and I was so glad about that. But yeah, I think my dad was just comfortable enough to know that he stuck around long enough to know that my mom was going to be happy with everything there and how we were doing it. And it was still hard. It was actually hard on her. And uh, when I asked my dad, I said, <laughs> and he said, you know, I'm going, I'll be going soon. And uh, I said, well, mom knows I think she'll be coming. She won't be far behind you. And he looked at me and he said, your mother's not coming yet. And it's like he knew something. So she lasted another year. And again, that's all in the book. And, uh, but my dad was also during those four months, a great, he was a great actor. And my, my siblings would call him my oldest brother. I love him to death. And and my other, my second oldest, and they would call and I would call them and kind of keep them up on what's going on. Hey, these are the changes I'm seeing. Uh, you know, I just want to prepare you, let you know, they would call my dad and he would, he would be, and I'd be there to, how are you? And he goes, Hey, I'm super duper. You know, everything is great. And just love, you know, but he was really big on super duper. Everything is super duper. So my brother called me back at that time and said, Hey, dad sounds fine. And uh, kind of put in there. Siblings don't really, if you're there every day with them, you see the changes that they don't. And uh, one of the things in there, I want to encourage people to be able to let the siblings know, but the siblings believe them you know, and, and make that time to get up and see him. Oh, that's, that's, yeah, he was, he was an amazing actor too. <laughs> but he wanted to be positive. Absolutely. He, he, he already knew the family was all stressed up. He didn't right. want to do that to your brothers and go, oh my gosh, I'm dying. Absolutely. I'm dying. He, he put on a, a mask. He pretended, he acted like everything was fine just to reassure them because at the end of the day, He's dad. He's, you know, he saw you guys still as young, his children, and he's the protector. He didn't want to put put you guys feeling bad, that emotional, you know, trauma of, yes, I'm in a lot of pain and I feel like my time is coming. My time is near. It's unfortunate for him. Everything shut down in his body, but his, his mind. 
and there was <laughs> nothing that they had, anybody could do. It would be more harmful to give him things to stay alive. Um, I had to make the decision. He had a defibrillator. It was a dual thing, and uh, and the the doctors and the hospice told me at that time, yeah, you're going to have to make a decision to remove that. And of course, one of my brothers, the one that passed away from cancer, was mad at me because he thought that, uh, hey, we keep him alive. His mind's still there. You can talk. Problem was that if he had a heart attack and died, that would hit his heart and keep him alive when everything else is not working at all. And I had to make that decision to have them come remove that. But that was at his asking also. He said, get rid of it. He was ready. And I always hope my brother, my brother did read that, my brother Phil, and he apologized. He knew how hard it was on me to make that decision. And I also called my other brother, Mark, to let him know that this was the decision I was making. So anytime I was caring for them, doing it, I would try and interject with my family so they didn't feel bad that they weren't there and did what I did because I'd never feel bad about it towards them. My dad did. He was bad. <laughs> but he got over that. Also, when when making tough decisions like that, you know, every, everybody goes through that knee-jerk reaction. Let's keep them alive at all costs. Right. And, and even it's like, well, do you want to see your mom or your father in a vegetative state? With no no brain activity, brain dead, soul not even there. It's just a body just being, you know, breathing from right. all these machines. Well, and I've well, always tell, known tell, that. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. You go ahead. No, my. No, I'm just saying, and I know. I mean, at times, I, I know that I wasn't ever in this whole world the only one that's gone through this, and and. Sometimes, though, we need to get out there, and, and some people just after it's done just can go the other way. Mine was that promise, and I'm sure glad I did it. And Omar, it did work. It, it It's sure. worked for me, and it's worked for some people that have contacted me with some of these stories, angelic encounters to things that they said that they uh, were had similar experiences and were afraid to say anything about it. And but I have a lot of people talking to me still about uh, one gentleman I went to high school with, uh, got a hold of me and said, hey, I got your book. And they were going to get her, his wife's mother from Montana, bring her back. And he said that book really helped him on a lot of things to look for, you know, just everything like that. So I was proud of it. And once again, it did work. And I'm happy for that. Now, did you ever talk to... Um go to these support groups. And, and I know I did my support. I honestly should have, but I didn't. My support was Adrian. She and she's always been my person that I would laugh and I would cry and she'd hold me and uh, she was there and she would cry. She loved my parents dearly as my brother-in-law did, as my, my sister-in-laws, they all loved my parents. Uh, but didn't reach out to any support group. To me, the support I should have, yes, it would have helped. But writing that book was the support I actually think I needed. And now I'm out there trying to just, people have any questions about how I felt or what I did. I'm not telling anybody what to do. I'm telling them what I did during different to difficult times. 
And your father's memories live on in both your both those books. One, his story, and then two, the characters that he created when you guys were all young, just to entertain you guys. I'm sure. Oh, it was uh, that one. Actually, the first book Omar took me four years because after I started writing it, my nieces, my sister, my other oldest sister, passed away in 2002 of cancer. Well, her husband, I grew up with in Oakland, California. Uh, he was a greater, older, one grade ahead of me. And, of course, we ran the streets in Oakland when we were kids. Well, he came down with a vicious cancer that ate his face. And for one year, I'd drive over so my niece could work back to Grants Pass, which from where we are, for Monday through Friday for over a year. And saw that trauma of the, his face going. That was tough. But... I didn't mean to get off on that, but it took me two weeks to write this one. And my dad told a lot of different stories. And I've had one person in my family said that she, and I love her to death, my niece, she said, oh, this is Papa's story. And I remember him sitting on our knee and telling the story. And I, I said, that's, that's completely, he told different stories with the characters. But I told her, how could I write a book that you say my dad wrote when I've never heard it. I go, I, I took two weeks to create it along with my publisher and Adrian come up with names. We came up with different stuff. So I'd like to say, I should have probably added their names too. And uh, my teacher in the class, this book here, while reading the son's promise, I, in that class, I stood up because every week everybody would write about what they wrote about what they were doing. And I threw them a curve and I stood in front of the class which was about 15 people. And I didn't do my parents' story, which they were all enthralled with. They were ready to hear the next chapter that I did. And I got up and read The Watermelon Patch, A Tale of Unlikely Friendship, and did all the characters. <laughs> and that's when I knew that I had a winner here because they all gave me a standing ovation. And that made me feel good. So my dad's characters, um, I created a story. And... I always say that if my niece resonates, that I can create a story uh, like my dad, I'm not going to take that away from her. That's I'm proud of that. <laughs> well, then even better, right? No, you, well, you do know. Right. That's about what we were talking about. Somebody that can't believe that you can't do something. And, oh, uh, of right, course. Right? Yeah. And But I'll never take that away from her. And uh, I just, uh, she actually, no, I'm not go there. But she... It's a good book. I gave one for her her granddaughter. I was proud of it. Uh, very proud of it. So, yes, well, you're, you're right. I brought in both books of my dad, and they'll be around for who knows how long. Forever and ever. You, you do know, though, that, John, you can still use the same characters and create, like, a bunch of books, a bunch of stories with the, the watermelon group. The watermelon. Oh, yeah. No, I do want to do a, a sequel to it because if a person reads it, and I've done three uh, school assemblies from to read in front of kids, K through eighth grade. And uh, I did all the characters. I explained about my other book, A Son's Promise. And and it was with two other actually well-known, I can't remember their names now, but they're children's book authors that came out here. It was in Jacksonville, Oregon. And I was honored because they've sold lots of books. and They loved mine. And 
I actually, the, the kindergarten kids through a third grade, it, it was great. The tough crowd was the older ones, seventh and eighth grade. But when I read that book and then I talked about A Son's Promise, there was a girl in the first class, first assembly I did was 50 kids. And this girl was an eighth grader. And she sat in back of the class while I was talking. And by three quarters of the way up, she moved up to the front. And I watched it. I noticed this with all the other kids. And after I read the story, they were smiling and laughing at my voices and all that, which I love to do and still have to perfect them, though. But she raised her hand and said that she sat on her, she would always sit on her grandfather's knee and he would tell her stories because he also was in the timber industry. And she said, you have inspired me. I am going to write a book of my grandpa's stories. Wow. I mean, if I touched one child like that, I'm happy. Then you know what? The book was was well worth it. That's oh yeah, with me. People ask me what was the motivation, I, and I said just to have one person. If I can inspire one person to get off their butt, you know, get out off the sidelines and do something with their life. If I can inspire, if I can motivate, if I can have people dream and think that they they can do bigger and greater things, then you see, great minds think alike. Yeah, that's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. Well, Love John, where, where where can people buy both books? Uh, on Amazon, if they get on and type in the names again, if you don't mind showing it. Of uh, course, I will. Sons Promise by Jonathan C. Gehrig. And if they just type in the watermelon patch, they'll see that will come up. But if, if they go by the author, uh, search Jonathan C. Gehrig. Um, it'll take right to both books. And actually on Amazon, publisher and I actually gave about the first almost two chapters for people to read to see if it's their kind of read. And uh, I, I really like that idea. I, you know, and, and so far it worked. A lot of, uh, so it's hard to get out there and promote them, but I do Facebook business, but the buy them is on Amazon. and. I actually think they would like them if they're in that same gender of the taking care of family. Do you do any social media promotion on your, on Facebook or Instagram, or do you have a, I'm learning that (laughs) trying to learn how to do that. I do. I actually had my granddaughter, Jolene Ruby, who before she was one, but my daughter, we did a photo take with the watermelon patch. And I put it on Facebook business and it got me in the top 4% of link clicks and sales of it for the week, for that week, which was really good. So I, I do like to use my grandkids and my kids, which still trying to get them to do it where they can hold up. And I do promote it on Facebook business, trying to learn how to get my own podcast of it or, or something that's on uh, what you like, what you're on. These are things that I'm learning. <laughs> so you're at you're at the beginning stages, and you have a couple more book, books in you that you yeah. need to to promote. Now, do you have any words of wisdom for? Well, there's two groups of people you inspire: people that their parents are going through a similar situation. Do you have anything? Any words of wisdom? Any inspiration? Um, strong love, patience for them because this is a you've gone from them taking care of you 
as a baby to you actually taking care of them and they've reverted back to what you were when they were born. So they're actually the children. And, uh, but I never treated them like that, but they always would laugh and say that to me. So pay love and patience because it gets difficult and encourage families. Uh, the one that's taking care of them, make sure that uh, a break is in there for them because it's the, the grinding of the every day. It's a very huge love feeling, but like I said, it can get very stressful and just a day, you know, come visit them and take over that time. Uh, you won't regret it being that time with them. Absolutely. And the, the watermelon patch, that book, I told my dad I was going to create it again, like I said earlier about bullying. Um, just uh, the book in there is the other fruits and vegetables judged Mr. Watermelon because of his size. They didn't know him. And he was always mean because they never uh, had him join in with them because they were afraid of him because he was so big. But I'm not going to give the rest of the story. It comes out good. So it's about don't judge people by their sizes, their colors, whoever they are. Get to know them before you do judge because you just might have, you might realize that that person that somebody, a lot of other people are making fun of could be actually an unlikely friend and become best friends. So that's what that one's about. So don't judge, you know, get to know and don't be mean. And that, that message resonates even more now, especially through, through these times that we're going through a lot of hate, a lot of anger, a lot of judgment. So, and that's exactly what my publisher said. She said, you got to get this book out. (laughs) Exactly. Trust me. And yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll buy the book. But hopefully, because I don't, I hope not to have any grandkids anytime in the near future, just because I have a, a senior and a sophomore in high school. Yeah, let's wait but a little bit. That, <laughs> yeah, that that message does does resonate, and you know, your father lives on, and your father lives on not only through you, through these books, through your your son. You know, he he talks very highly, and the love that your father showed you you give that same love with your children i will say one thing really quick about my children they all knew that when i took on when we took this over and cared for them there was no way that i was going to be able to go visit them see them like i said all my vacations that i had working were with them because they needed the help before i moved over so they actually were in on it all three of my sons my daughter actually four sons because i count my a fiance's son is, as my son, they knew the tough, they knew, and they knew we were giving up time together for their grandma and grandpa. So, and I love them for that. You, you come from a very loving family. They understood. And that's just, sh- those are the results from, yeah. from your parents and from you. And I have to say, thank you. Thank you for the hour. Thank you for, for the story. Thank you just for, I mean, kept me at times I wanted to cry just, just by hearing, you know, nobody wants to hear their parent going through anything, especially pain, but you know, thanks, John, any, any last words you want to impart? Well, no, I really appreciate the time with you, Omar, and I will be watching a lot more of your podcasts. I, I always say the book will sell itself and that people will that see your podcast or at least Look at it, get on Amazon, because the son's promise there is a, a couple of chapters in there. And I might think in the story, in the book, there's a lot of 
going to laugh. What I get out of them, some of the reviews is you're going to laugh and you're going to cry. And then a lot of people do resonate what we went through. But I, I extremely appreciate this hour with you, and I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate everything. And when you do get your next book, you're you're coming back on so we can promote that. And we'll discuss plenty of other stuff. Thank you for your time. And thank you for just your wisdom. And thank you. Love you, brother. Best of luck with everything. And we'll be in touch. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. What if you did work? What if you took action and made it happen and started living inside of your purpose? What if you did work? Right now you can make the choice to never listen to that negative voice no more. The hardest prison to escape is our own mind. I was trapped inside that prison all for a long time. To make it happen, you gotta take action. Just imagine what if it did work.